I honestly look at crisis times, this like wartime period, as we've dubbed it, as splitting founders into two camps, where I think if you were the type of founder that you kind of accidentally started something because you had a mission that you believed in so strongly with your heart and soul that it almost doesn't matter what happens, you're never going to give up on, on getting that out into the world. I think those people are better poised to make it through. I think the other camp is people who are maybe actually the savvier entrepreneur who saw the gap, who saw the opportunity gap and exploited it. They saw something in the market and they went for it. I think prolonged crisis times or war times for them are going to be a little bit tougher because it's not that principal decision, that mission that's driving them forward as much as it is. I saw a business opportunity and I took it. You know, they say women shouldn't be bossy. We're out here reclaiming that word. What's so wrong with being the boss? Okay, Tara, so I'm in a weird chicken or egg spot right now in the business, which is that I feel like we're a little bit stagnant revenue-wise year over year, which was unexpected. We, I think we thought that things were really going to be trending up this year and that that uptrend was going to continue. But because of a, a confluence of factors, things have not gone that way. But that puts us in an interesting position where... We don't feel like we should be spending more money on more resources because we're not making as much as we thought we were going to. However, part of what we're a little bit nervous about is is not having enough resources part of the reason we're not growing. Mm. So it's a chicken or egg. And I would actually love to get your advice on how to probe a little bit deeper there, because to me, it's like there there are a couple of options that I see, which is either try to focus on taking the existing resources and allocating them differently, or is it like, oh, well, you got to spend money to make money and like you got to bring if you think you need more resources, then like you should probably bring them in. Yeah, I generally don't have that stance. Like, you always have to spend more to make more, particularly, like, as economies are shifting. Like, I actually always think that it's funny when I hear you say, like, oh, like, we just expected we were always going to be, like, up and to the right (laughs) at the same growth rate. And we were always going to be, like, like, I think that happens for most successful, like, businesses that are successful at the beginning. They have this, like, quick growth. And we just assume, like, I know I did this multiple times. Mm. I just assume that was always going to be the growth rate, and it is not. If you look at, like, the average business, they're not, like, doubling month over month. That's not really how business works, right. particularly not small business works. So it's pretty normal for, for you to have plateaus in the same way that, like, I don't know. Have you ever been on, like, a weight loss journey? Maybe not. Fitness journey. Fitness journey. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have plateaus in health. Right. And so it's the same thing. Like that's part of the journey. And usually you have to like switch up what you're doing in the plateau a little bit to keep going and also just like keep working. Right. Like keep working through the plateau. So what kind of resources do you feel like you're needing right now? Like what you like hiring people? That's usually most people's resources. Yes, that's what I mean when I say resources. I mean, just more people. And I think part of what is maybe a little bit making me nervous, we'll say, is that I think that some of the things that are going to help us grow the most are areas where we don't necessarily have that expertise on the team already. Can you think of an example? Sure. So we want to get back on YouTube. And obviously, we're on YouTube for this show. But we want to get a Money with Katie presence on YouTube again. And we had kind of sidelined that 
this year because there were so many other things going on. And video production is a huge effort. Like, it takes a lot of time, a lot of manpower to produce a really good video. And our videos weren't really doing that well. So we're like, all right, let's shelve it. However, when we look at, like, growth opportunity, both from a revenue perspective and, like, what do brands want to sponsor and where could we carve out a unique space and, like, really serve the audience in a unique way, I think all signs point to video. But we don't really have any YouTube video kind of experts in Team Money with Katie right now where, I mean, the people that are really good on YouTube are the people that are constantly consuming the content, are studying thumbnails. They understand the platform. They're, like, obsessed with YouTube. Mm. No one on our team is really like that. So I'm like, okay, well, are we just going to put a bunch of time, effort, and money into YouTube to have it flop again unless we have someone in in house that, like, can really be spending all day, like, helping me think about concepts. That sounds like a terrible use of your money right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds like a really Strong bad use of opinion. your money Strong right opinion. Go now. ahead. I, I think that if you're trying to grow, and also if you are, like, short on resources, the absolute only thing that you should hire for is someone who has direct foot on the gas for growth and sales. So if you were going to tell me I want to hire a new sales rep to help us go pre-sell video like partnerships and we're going to go sell that in. And then once we have them, we've confirmed that that's what the market wants. And then we're going to go invest in fulfilling that in more video content. That would make sense. But I think if you're short on resources, if it is not directly, you shouldn't hire, be hiring an extra assistant. You shouldn't be hiring an extra like operations person, anything else other than straight on the revenue. Mm -hmm. I think this is actually like a thing a lot of people get stuck on because it does feel super chicken in the egg. Like if we started producing that stuff more first, then we would actually be able to drive more revenue. And I think for most small businesses, for most entrepreneurs, you got to go like pre-sell the thing mm, first, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. revenue first. So what that's is that my phrase? Thought. It's like make when sold or produce when sold. there's like a there's a term that's not coming to mind right now. Yeah. Built if sold. That's what it is, where it's like you actually go and, and try to pitch it first. So that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about that, actually. Like, let's get the revenue in the door first. And then if we prove out that brands actually do want this and it will make money, then, you got extra cash then we can go produce the stuff. Yep. OK. Yep. OK. Otherwise, I think you're always going to be in over investing mode and guessing where to put your investment. And I actually think your customers always tell you. And if you're really focused on growth, you just got to be focused on growth. But this is an interesting conversation to have because, like, companies have these, like, ebbs and flows and thinking about, like, what you need to – how you need to think as a leader in the time of, like, the ebb is a really interesting conversation. Did you see that interview? I think it was on Diary of a CEO. Do you watch that or show yeah. or listen to that show? Mm-hmm. It's so funny. I always watch my podcast and so watch <laughs> that show. Um, and there, he's interviewing the CEO of Airbnb about how Airbnb lost 80% of their value during the pandemic. Oh, I didn't see this one. No. Give me the... It's a good one. It's a good one. Okay. Rundown. So in... We all know this in like April 2020, March 2020, COVID hits, pandemic really impacts Airbnb, right? So like everybody's canceling their bookings. I distinctly remember this because I had an Airbnb at this time. I have an apartment building and one of them was Airbnb. Oh, you owned an Airbnb. I owned an Airbnb and I remember my bookings just dropping. 
just that week, just mm-hmm. like booking gone, booking gone, booking gone. And I actually moved myself into my Airbnb for a few weeks to like figure it out. I was sort of moving in in-between spaces myself. So I was like, all right, let me go in. Let me figure it out. And I had to make a split decision to take my listing off Airbnb and put it on the regular rental market. It was as a like, long-term rental. As a long-term rental, yeah. like get a year yeah. renter. Because it was like w- no one knew what was going on. But I think my response was the same thing a lot of people were doing, where individual people were canceling their bookings and also people who had properties were like, maybe I should take it off of Airbnb. So this directly impacts Airbnb. Their bookings drop by 80% in wow. this. 80%. Imagine like 80% of your customers gone. I think I'd panic. Literally, frankly. I just watched you panic. I know. I'm like, oh, my God. I think I'm blushing like yeah. at the idea. Yeah. So so the problem even more from this is that Airbnb was in the middle of planning for an IPO oh, to go public. That's horrible So you're getting timing. ready to put all of your documents out to see, look how good we're doing. Because you do an IPO in peacetime, right? right? Things are going well. Here's IPOs going off. So, so COVID happens. The IPO is off. Right. Like they just can't. They've got to then the CEO has got to switch from peacetime. Everything's going really well to wartime. And so this is what he's talking about in the interview as a leader, what he had to go through. How do you define peacetime and wartime oh, yeah, as yeah. a CEO? OK, so the, do you, have you read this book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things? No. Have you heard this? It's kind of like popular in the like tech startup space. This guy, oh. Ben Horowitz. Um, who has like a big VC firm, he's a big investor, wrote this book. And so he talks about like peacetime and wartime. So peacetime is when things are going really well in business, the market's stable, and your focus as a leader at that time is like finding innovative ways to expand, right? And your management style in that time is usually really like democratic, collaborative, everybody working together, you're thinking long term. That's peacetime. Things are good. (laughs) Things are good. Things are good. Wartime is like, oh, there's competition or there's a big market disruption or a a crisis, like a pandemic. Yeah. And your focus then as a leader needs to be on survival and also making tough and unpopular decisions as a leader that nobody else wants to make. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you've got to make fast, like radical decisions. Where do you think you shine? Oh, definitely peacetime. I was going to say, when you mentioned, oh, this is when you, you're looking for the new innovative things, I was like, that's what Tara likes. I'm Tara likes to do the new stuff. Yep, yep. I thrive in, like, how do we take the resources we have and, like, allocate them well? What sorts of deals can we do to expand the business? What kinds of new innovations can we come up with? That's my jam. Yeah. I struggle really hard when we're in wartime. And in wartime in the business, we need to cut off all the new innovation projects mm-hmm. and i feel like i'm cutting off my babies Ooh. oh okay i think i would also what about you well i feel like the obvious answer here would be peacetime because that's that's kind of when i was like oh great this is this is so um business is fun business is easy like oh yeah things are just going well but I do think that this year and some of the struggle that we've had this year has really forced me to narrow focus again and remember what's so valuable about the core offerings and, like, what is our bread and butter? Yeah. And at the end of the day, if the content itself is not constantly improving and getting better, then nothing else that we do matters. Yeah. And I think that's what's been been a good lesson for me recently. What would you say is your bread and butter for your business for Money with Katie? Probably the show. I would say that's yeah. kind of everything else is like a, a, in my mind, a continuation of the show. But 
potentially, if I, I mean, if I'm answering from a revenue perspective, though, it's like show and newsletter. Like those are kind of the two heaviest hitters for us, I would say. Um, yeah, I think the answer to this, particularly in wartime, has to be revenue connected. Right. Yeah, the yeah, biggest yeah. hitter for, for revenue. Yeah. Do you think that you're in right now, like your first big coming into your first big wartime period? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, congratulations. That's exciting. I mean, it's not exciting. Is it exciting? Like, some I people mean... really thrive and they love wartime. I think you love wartime after you get through it. Because yeah. there's something that I feels like, that. oh, I did it, about like the getting through it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think um, it's making me appreciate the good times more. And yeah, there's there's almost kind of a little, how do I say this? There's something maybe a little bit, have you ever maybe in school had like a cram week before an exam. Yes. And it's like you Plenty. and all your friends are kind of in it together. Like you're yeah. all in the library late together. Hunkered down. Yeah. yeah. And it's like you you get through and it's like it's kind of feels like miserable while you're in it. But then once you're on the other side of it, you're kind of like, oh, I kind of like miss the challenge. And I like miss being in the trenches with everybody, like staying yeah. up late and getting things done. And I think that there is something maybe a little bit addictive about that challenge. So <laughs> I'm kind of seeing, even though it's been jarring and it's been a confidence like shaker in a big real way. Yeah. I think it's also been kind of like, okay, we're, we're being put to the test a little bit and it's, yes. we're having to rise to the challenge. And so it keeps things interesting. I think that's the best way to get through a wartime period as a leader is to kind of make it a game and be like, all right, like I'm in, I'm in for the game. Like you have to make it a little bit of fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is so interesting. Growing up, I really love Mary Poppins. And there's a line in Mary Poppins. It's like an intro to a song, mm-hmm. Spoonful of Sugar. And it says, for every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find <laughs> the fun and snap the job's a game. And that line, like, I'm definitely teaching that to my kids. Like, that's going to be, like, a core value that, like, I teach to my kids. And then it becomes but, a game. Yeah. You mm. find the fun and snap the jobs a game. And I think the way to get through wartime as a CEO is to make that wartime a game. You kind of lead it into it, right? Of like, okay, like, we're, yeah. we, we're down for the challenge. You kind of have to be up for the challenge. Otherwise, it's depressing. It's hard. <laughs> so yeah. it's the only way to get through. So how did Airbnb come back? Because yeah. I know that they're still... They had to do a bunch of things. Like, okay. the CEO had to make a bunch of decisions. First of all, they laid off 25% of their staff. Wow. So 25% is a, a pretty big... I feel like 25% would be really feel meaningful because my team is smaller. I For them, it was like almost 2,000 people that they laid off. Just a lot of people. That's a lot of people. They also stopped all non-critical initiatives. So they had Airbnb and hotels going on, Airbnb transportation. I didn't even know about these initiatives. They were probably they were newer. And they cut those off. Airbnb hotels. Yeah, they Wait had like hotel partnerships and were doing some stuff with their own hotel stuff and transportation. So they stopped those things. They also cut marketing spend. Now, see, that seems like the complete wrong move to me. Because it seems like a wartime is when marketing becomes the most important. And I think in a wartime, your marketing is probably less effective. And so you might need to do more organic, more sort of core to the business as opposed to. And I think also a lot of people are just losing money on their marketing. Yeah. I think for them, it's paid marketing, paid advertising. So they're paying for ads. Um, When they they referred to it when I was reading about this as performance marketing. So they cut um, like $800 million of like performance marketing. Performance marketing is them running ads. Well, and that also makes sense, I guess, in a pandemic scenario because it's – the need for their product 
completely evaporated yeah. overnight. So more advertising really in that scenario, you're not really fighting for market share because there's no market share to be had. Ex- yeah. No one's staying anywhere. People you're not are in their to, homes. You're not trying to expand necessarily. And they, Airbnb's already got like a customer base of like yeah. email addresses of lots of people. Like go focus on getting those people to do another trip. And I don't think they cut all of their marketing costs, but they cut a, a good amount of, it, of them. Yeah. If I think about war times that I've gone through, that actually is one of the big shifts to make like team and, and marketing. Those are most businesses' biggest expenses. Anyway. Team and marketing. Yeah, okay. 100%. Um, and then they also raised $2 billion in debt and equity. So they were like, we got to get some more cash to survive. Mm, I uh, I see why you would need to do that. To me, though, it also feels like digging yourself into a deeper hole a little bit, like raising a bunch of money. I guess if yeah. you're just raising and then there's no strings attached, but debt where you're on the hook to pay it back, it's like then if things really don't go your way or just don't go your way long enough, right? Because like yeah. if that if you have to start paying it back and you can't, it's like you might not actually have the runway to get back on track. Yeah. And then you sink the ship. So that makes me a little bit nervous. It's totally a risk. I think like I don't like to shame like people taking on debt for business because sometimes like you got to do it. Like that's a lot of people don't have access to being able to start businesses other than taking on some Mm -hmm. amount of debt. So um, I don't think it's always a bad thing. And also, I think if you're really smart about how you're spending, I think taking on debt to keep the team, for example, to keep everybody on the team is a really poor decision in most scenarios. Usually like. You need to cut back still. So sometimes I think people will take on debt in order to not cut back. Mm-hmm. And I think that doesn't necessarily work because then you've got this expensive headcount of people on your team. So I think depending on what you're taking on debt yeah. to, it, it might make sense. Um, but that's definitely what they did in their scenario. What about the founder himself? So or the okay. CEO himself? The reason I really liked this interview was not because they were giving like facts of what happened in the pandemic and during a downturn is because he was so vulnerable about what he was going through in this moment. Because he was like, the line is like, it was so dark. Mm. It was such a dark period because what happened was he was worth $100 million, right? And then that just crashes. And it is really hard as an entrepreneur to not have all of your self-worth tied up in the business. Like, they often are just tangled in there. It's real tangled. And I mean money, too. Like, your your net worth being correlated with your self-worth. And I think that idea of working so hard and to feel like you're kind of on top of that mountain of, like, I did it. I, I've achieved the dream. And I have all this money. And I have this successful company. And then to face that challenge at the exact moment that you're feeling so cut down yep. personally. Yep. To go from I did it. All the way to like, can I do it? Mm, Instantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's actually, that's a really good depiction of just like the trip of entrepreneurship and the roller coaster of entrepreneurship. There's this graphic, actually, I don't know if you've seen this, mm. about like the emotional roller coaster of entrepreneurship. And essentially it's like, up, oh my gosh, this is great. Oh my God, we're going to we're gonna crash. Everything's <laughs> going to mess up. I, I don't know why I was doubting myself. Everything's terrible. This business is not going to work. And it's just like this bit, this daily experience. This is a great, this is an extreme example in a yeah. pandemic where like your network drops down significantly but that's just in general like what entrepreneurship is it's a roller coaster mm-hmm. and it the element of it being dark for a moment as for you as the leader i think is like real that's why i really loved this episode do you know who fetty wap is of course what is 1738 what is- <laughs> 
Okay, so Fetty Wap is a rapper. I saw this this TikTok of him, and he's talking about how in 2017, because he kind of like had a couple songs. Do you know any? What is it? Like, I'm trying to remember what his like famous song. Um, are. I'm and like, it was of hello. Yes. Okay. Great. Okay. Wait. We know the songs. We at least can hum them. So okay. So he was like had a couple hit songs come out like 2017. Yeah. He was on top of the world. Top of the world. And he's in this interview on TikTok talking about like I was making like 100k a day, and then it was like 50k a day, 40k, 30k. Like it starts to tank. And he's talking about the experience, and he says also that's when it starts getting dark. This, this description of it getting dark. Now, what do you think people are saying in the comments, by the way? They're like, dude, you're making 100 I feel like there was not a whole lot of empathy for this man. <laughs> Did you have that response? Well, yeah, because I'm like, all right, how many days would I have to make 100K a day to be, like, set for life? And also 30K, I mean, but I get it. You know what's crazy about that, though, is I completely understand. Yeah. Because I think you lose a sense of scale so quickly because when, it, when you're looking at it like a game, it's just about chips on the table and like i'm up or i'm down you're not really looking at it from a nominal like oh me 10 years ago would yes. have been blown away by one day of these earnings and would have been completely happy and would have never complained about it yep yep yeah definitely people in the comments are like like what are you talking about darkness like if 40k is dark i want darkness or yeah. like I, if i come up i'm never coming down like that's what people are saying in the it's comments all proportional it's that's all hilarious. proportional and i think we forgot the moment of it i think people in the comments didn't really understand that like it's really about the experience of the roller coaster. It yeah. doesn't matter what your high is. Mm-hmm. Putting yourself out there in entrepreneurship and like riding this roller coaster or be, you know, being a singer, whatever it is, like having these quick highs and quick lows, that is really hard emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I think people kind of like missed that mm-hmm. in the comments. Yeah. Yeah. I loved in the interview, though, like in, in the CEO of Airbnb's interview, like him talking about how in a crisis, you need to make different kinds of decisions. You need to make principal decisions, decisions about your principles, not business decisions. Say more about that. Yeah, I, I was like, I had to sit and think yeah, about, about that. principal decisions. Principal okay. decisions, not business decisions. So a business decision is a decision where you're like trying to predict the best outcome of the business. A principal decision is like, Regardless of the outcome, like, here's what we value. Here's what we're after. Here's what our mission is and what we're doing. And so Airbnb, I don't know if you've seen this, like, they've really started doubling down post-pandemic on how, like, Airbnb is about human connection. And because, like, now people had, like, a lot of businesses that were just Airbnbs, for example, like, Mm -hmm. the whole apartment building is just an Airbnb. It's not about staying at someone's home anymore. It was starting to move in that direction. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. It became very commercialized. Super commercialized. There's, like, all kinds of businesses now that, like, they help you manage an Airbnb. Like, a whole economy is surrounded. Sprung up around it. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll you'll notice in Airbnb's messaging now, they're really doubling down on, like, the human connection, staying with someone, Mm -hmm. having a host and connecting through a host. Personally... As a user, I don't know how I feel about that. I really don't want to stay with somebody else. I'm kind of antisocial on that way. But that's them kind of getting back to the principle of why the founder started it. Yeah, their which core is values. Air bed and bre- breakfast of like, you know, you get an air mattress. I think that's how they started, right? Air mattresses in their friends' places. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to get back to that. That came from the pandemic experience. Yeah, I actually ag- I agree with you, though, as a consumer, where I would say, yeah. but... 
it might be a balance to strike of remembering why people liked you in the first place, remembering why your idea was novel in the first place, and infusing the messaging and the energy of the company, the vibe, and, and kind of bringing that into what you're doing, but also allowing it to evolve. Because I think where Airbnb has, at least from from the outside looking in, as someone that rarely stays in them and doesn't own one, the joke online, I'm sure you've seen the memes where it's like, oh, I go to a hotel and it's like $300 a night and they clean up after me and there's a restaurant in the whatever and like I don't have to worry about the towels and then it's like you go to an, an Airbnb for $300 a night and it's like, please strip the bed, please put the, sh- the towels in the washing machine, please take out the trash, please mop the floors and you're like, what am I paying for? Like yeah. what is this $200 cleaning fee for? You're asking me to basically clean your house before I leave. And so I think that there's a, there's, there's this vibe that it's gotten a little greedy and like people became like Airbnb millionaires and now they're just trying to price gouge and like get as much. It it really did lose that communal feeling. Yes. So that's kind of them kind of getting back in alignment with that. That's what they're trying to do. I'm curious now that you're going into sort of experiencing having a wartime period in this contrast, going back and looking back at your personal peacetime periods, like what do you, what were you doing in a peacetime period? Like what did that look like for you? It's a good question. Okay, let me hit you with a timeline. So 2022 was when I joined Morning Brew. So I'm actually just going to, because I think 2021 was peacetime for sure. That was peacetime for everybody because money was just, money was free. Everything was great. The economy's great. I think for a lot of online and digital experiences, businesses, yes. And not for, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not for people affected by brick and mortar and pandemics. So it's kind of like different things happen at different times. Individuals, too, had really strong balance sheets in 21 because of stimulus money, because of child tax credit. Like, there were things that were happening kind of like at a more... like policy level that I think we're and so that's what we're seeing with the high interest rates now like we're trying to flush all that excess liquidity out of the system but 21 22 it's like okay all I do is win everything rocks business is easy our revenue is is yeah revenue was (laughs) up into the right reference (laughs) (laughs) another one okay we're getting recognition a lot it's like new and exciting plugs. It's like, oh, we got an interview with the cut. Oh, we got this. Oh, we got that. We're like on these podcasts. We're, we're everywhere. So to have a year like that kind of followed by what I would consider, this is what's crazy about it, is it's kind of like what Fetty Wap said. It's like you go from making 100K a day to 30K. It's like, well, you're still doing good. You're still making money. You're still profitable, but it doesn't feel the same. It does not feel the same. It feels like you're losing by comparison. It does not feel the same. Yeah. And now that I'm in that downswing, I think I'm recognizing, oh, this, not every, every period of this has to be about thriving. Sometimes it's just about surviving. It's just about making it to the next day. And you have to keep planting and watering the seed because if the sun is behind the clouds, it's like it doesn't matter. You got to keep you got to keep going so that when the sun comes out, you're you have everything you need and you're ready to grow again. I think a really fun example of this is Intuit, the like uh, TurboTax credit karma. Intuit's like a big financial services company. Yeah. And they had a tool called Mint. It's a budgeting app and it's mm-hmm. free. And they had, I think, like 3.7 million monthly active users. So a pretty substantial user base. And they just announced that they're closing. 
And there is a competitor. Mint is closing. Mint is there. Or Intuit, I should say, is shutting down Mint. They okay. are yes. sunsetting, sunsetting that, that yes. business that they own. Okay. And they're going to, you know, do something else with it. But there is a competitor called Copilot that we have a good relationship. Like, I know their founder, and I think their product is amazing. And so I always shout them out on Money with Katie. But it's like it, budgeting apps. It's a hard space to break into. And Mint mm-hmm. kind of had that ubiquity. Yeah. Like, everyone used them. And I think for a long time all these like scrappy startups like copilot that were trying to like pull market share away from mint and in a really hard way because like they charge money they're not ad supported so it's like it's a hard proposition to be like hey you know that thing that you get for free right now you should pay me for it yeah dang so but copilot kept building they kept releasing new features they kept going 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 and one day mint announces oh hey we're shutting down and in like Literally 48 hours, Copilot saw more users come in than they had ever had before. Wow. Because now there's this whole sea of people that needs their product that didn't need it before. Mm-hmm. But if they hadn't been showing up every single day and building the features and, and making their product better and better and better. Yeah. But it, like, so, it takes that kind of moment. But you've got to wait for the moment. you got to be ready for that moment and have, have the... Um, the, I guess the infrastructure in place or like you have to be prepared on your own, even if it's like, I don't know when it's going to come, but th- there's going to be a sea yes. change. That's actually a really good point, because I think, for for example, for me, 2020 was a really big peace time. I think a lot of people for a lot of digital businesses did really well because people were on lockdown. So they were on their mm-hmm. devices at home, right, thinking about what their plans yeah. are, and what they're going to do next. But I think you have a really good point, because my friends that are entrepreneurs that did the best in 2020 were already ready. For it, They were ready for a peacetime. Mm-hmm. They had set up infrastructure. They were ready to go. It wasn't like they just started getting serious about the business in the peacetime. So in reality, you're kind of building for the next peacetime. Yeah. Right. Um, and as you set up your business, you probably may not captivate. If you're just getting started, you may not be able to catch a current wave. But there's all like entrepreneurship is waves mm-hmm. and riding those waves. So I, I think that's actually a really good nuanced distinction. We'll be right back to the conversation after a quick break. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Okay, back to the show. What are you in now? I'm in wartime. Okay. Yep, I'm in wartime. So I would say from like a timeline perspective, 2020 was super peacetime for sure. 2021, first half of it was peacetime. And then it got wartime when iOS 14 changed their privacy policies, which meant that Facebook, Instagram, all these platforms, when you run an ad on them, you could target who you could target and how you could target was really different. So you used to be able to target like certain softwares that people use, certain people that people follow, like really nuanced, detailed. And then uh, because, you know, you see that pop up on your phone and it's like you open an app and it's like, can we track 
your yes. your activity and you can say app I not to track. I always ask app not to track. I'm yeah. never allowing that. So yeah. with iOS 14, that pop-up became a thing, which meant that the advertising networks now aren't tracking all the things that you do in the same way, which means that the small businesses can't target you or large businesses can't target you based on behavior. Mm. And so that means that the ads that you see maybe are a little bit less relevant. And also people at businesses, small businesses like mine, have a harder time getting to the right person. So that changed and it changed the whole economics of how we did our advertising. It became like more expensive to do worse targeting. So what did you do? How did you? Yeah. So we made a lot of shifts. Like I had been doing a lot of like R&D, a lot of expansion. We had been sort of acquiring other businesses and we reeled all of that back. All of that stopped. We laid off some people. Some people left the team. Um, a bunch of business decisions happened so that we could just really focus on core. We did a lot more organic stuff as well. We sort of added different things into how we mm. did our marketing that were more organic. I'm almost picking up on this through line here that you can't see pulling back as failure. And I think that's where people get stuck Ooh. is they go, well, if I have to let someone go, that means I failed. Ooh, if I have to stop doing this new project that I was really excited about, it means I've messed up in some way and that I failed. And I think that game mentality is really is really pivotal because it allows you to be like, oh, OK, let me like take some chips off the table. Let me like actually move over here instead. OK, I thought I was going this way, but actually my strategy is changing and now I'm going that way and ah. not perceiving that. It's like, well, if I do this, that means I'm admitting defeat and this, that I've, I've screwed up. This is really interesting because I, I wasn't thinking about that from a business perspective. I think you're really right. I'm going to use that for myself, that mm. perspective. I am very aware of that dynamic in my personal life. Like I refer to being in, sometimes I'll tell a friend, like I'm in an expansion period right now. Like I'm growing, I'm trying new things, yeah. I'm like elevating. And then sometimes I'm in a contraction Period. And like all the voices in my head are like, don't do that. Stop. Like, ah, it's scary. Like, they're, they're, it's like a whole bunch of concern. And I get into contraction about like what I'm willing, the risks I'm willing to take. Hmm. I feel like we had a conversation about that after yeah. we filmed our first few episodes. Yeah. You want to talk about it? A little bit. Yeah. I think I can't remember exactly what you texted me, but you, so you could probably speak to this a little bit better. But there was one moment where you, you had said something to me about, uh, Maybe reading. F I don't remember. What was it? What I think I generally about? remember. Okay. So we had just recorded our first batch of episodes. We batch these. Um, and so we do these episodes in groups so that Katie and I can stay focused on our businesses and not be doing every single week. And so we had done our first small batch. And that was expansion for mm -hmm. me. And I felt like, oh, I'm doing this new project and like I got my outfits like I was feeling good about myself. And then I think immediately after the day after I like started contracting and this is not an abnormal practice. So I think I caught myself in the middle of it. I yes. started texting you something that was a little doom and gloomy. It was very self-critical. It was like, oh, I don't know if it's a good idea. Oh, I remember I was really worried about posting on social media and people being mean yes. me yep. in the comments. It was going to be like, OK, we're going to like launch a new show and people are going to say mean things in the comments. I'm worried about that. And I was asking you about it because you have a larger brand in terms of like audience. And so I was asking you about this and you were kind of like giving me advice about it. And in the middle of us talking about it I went hold on I see you I see you bird trying to come in and like put me in contraction period and I think it's okay for you to be in contraction by the way like you need those ebbs and flows but I saw what was happening which is I just had a big expansion yep and now my my whole 
self is trying to contract a little bit as a response. But I think that flow is not necessarily a bad thing and it applies totally to business as well as your own growth. That's what I loved about it, though, is that I kind of I think you had maybe given me a sense of that already, because when you were texting me, I was like, hmm, I wonder if this is seems like she she yeah she got big and then she's like oh wait a second it's like you gear up on the tightrope and you like suddenly look down and you're like hold on and then you go you go oh but wait I I, dang it like I know what's happening here you did you were aware of it you caught it in the moment and so it was just kind of fun to get to watch that process play out and watch you kind of correct for it in real time and go because sometimes naming it really helps yes no 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 my subconscious is just trying to protect me right now it's trying to keep me safe from it senses this shift happening it's like feeling this expansion so I think um right now in some ways for me and what we're going through, it feels like it's almost easier to point to like, okay, well, I, the, the list would be shorter if I was trying to talk about the things that don't feel like wartime than what does, because things are, it, it just feels like everywhere you turn, it's like, oh gosh, what are we going to do? Mm. So Q3 2023, that was the first time that like, since since the very early days where I'm looking at the the bottom line of the P&L and I'm like, okay, we had a month or two there where we were like actually cash flow negative. My Q3 overall. sucked. So I'm seeing with those you. parentheses in the Excel spreadsheet on the bottom line where it's like, this is a negative number. You're like, oh shit. And so I think realizing that like we can't spend more, but we're also struggling to do it all without more resources is pointing me in that direction of you need to find more creative solutions. Yes. You need to be smarter about how you're allocating the resources that you do have and get back to those basics. And so I think the silver linings of this period and what are kind of the shining stars through the darkness are that it does feel like our content is actually improving during this time. Mm. I'm noticing these trends where like our reviews are better than they've ever been. It feels like we're really hitting our stride editorially. It feels like we're really connecting with the audience in a way that even last year when the money was pouring in, that wasn't really happening. We were stubbing our toe a lot with the editorial. So I'm trying to focus on the good and to say, okay, well, we're hitting our stride with the content. And maybe that success or that the the revenue, the business growth is actually just a lag indicator. And like we right now are, we're laying the groundwork for something that we're going to benefit from six months from now. Yeah. And so we can't get discouraged that we're not seeing that benefit right away. I'm also noticing that like certain team members are stepping up more. Yeah. And like owning their roles even more in response to the challenge. So it's important, I think, to focus, too, on on not just what's going wrong, but there might be a bit of a roadmap, too, in what's going right. And, like, well, where are things really working? Well, what yeah. if we actually focused more there? Okay. So if you are listening to and watching this, we would love to hear from you just kind of where you are in life and in business. Mm-hmm. So either you have a business now and you're in a peacetime or a wartime Or you are not in the business, but you're some sort of leader in some way. We all have elements of leadership. And are you in peacetime or wartime season right now? You can tell us on YouTube in the comments which you are in right now. I'm curious to see just kind of where everybody is in life. (laughs) And also, I want to talk about tactics. Like, what exactly can you do when you are in a wartime? 
You actually had mentioned one about sort of thinking about and getting back to the basics. I think that one of the things that you've got to do in a wartime tactically is go get in the trenches with sales. So if you have a sales team, you got to get your butt in the trenches. And Mm. if there's any pushback around that, you need to explain that this is a wartime. I'm here to work as a team and we're we're here. We're doing it. But I'm in the trenches with you because sales is like becomes the most important thing for the survival. Right. That's one tactical thing. If sales is you, that (laughs) means clearing your schedule and Monday through Wednesday is the sales day. And I'm only doing on Thursday and Friday the other stuff. Mm hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like and it needs to lean a little bit. I've said Monday through Wednesday because that's like slightly the majority more, of the, the week, the majority yeah. of the week. Like you need to rearrange your time so that it's majority that mm-hmm. another thing tactically um, in Q3. I did this. We I went through our QuickBooks where we do our accounting. Most of cost was team. Um, but I went through also we spend a lot of money on like software and other things to run the business. So went through all of the software. If you don't have QuickBooks, you can just do it in a spreadsheet and went through everything we were spending money on and said, do we absolutely need this mm-hmm. to, to serve customers and to make money? If it's a nice to have, then it's got to go. Right. Mm. Also, can we renegotiate this contract? Like if you have some sort of subscription, a license, something like that, can we downgrade it? Can we have fewer people? Like we had to be like, hey, like not actually everybody's using this software. I'm just deleting the licenses for that. Like how mm-hmm. do you how do you scale back and just pulling up a spreadsheet? And then also for employees, I had to do this where next to each person's name, I had to put like a C next to critical or CR, critical for revenue. Okay. Like their exact job is to drive revenue, which is not, for example, like an assistant, an administrator. They do not directly drive revenue. So they do not get a CR next to their name. Right. And then I can then very clearly see there's also um, another one of like CD critical for delivery. Okay. Right. To like give whatever we sold to the customer, Mm -hmm. give it to, to deliver that. And there's some people that are not really high CR or CD. That's where you've got to start having conversations about, like, maybe I can't have this person on the team right now. There's something that this is bringing up for me. There's an analogy to personal budgeting that is useful here, which is that when you are trying to cut costs in your personal budget, a lot of people focus on the small stuff first and they go, well, can I cut back on the coffee every day? Well, can I cut back on these little itty bitty nice to haves that make my life worth living, basically? But they don't look at the big picture stuff. And so one big shift that we always talk about in personal expense management is you are better off starting with the big things like your housing, like your transportation. Maybe you need to sell your car. One decision at that level of I'm going to get a roommate or I'm going to sell the car, that's going to free up. 10 to 20 percent of your budget right away versus hacking away at all these little small cuts. And so I think it's interesting, too, in a business to look at that and go start at the top. Don't start with the things that feel discretionary and like cuttable just because you feel like you can write them off quickly. It's like the the, the big picture stuff is what really moves the needle. And unfortunately, to your point, it's like if that means humans now that introduces an entirely different, I think, ethical dilemma. Because that's really hard. I've never had to let someone go. I've never had to, like... You will. You will. You will not be able to run a business for very long without letting people go. It sounds really harsh, 
but like you just won't make it. Mm. because there is no way that your projections for growth are exactly right every single time. You're just not that smart. Yeah. I'm not that smart. You're not, like, no one's that smart. That you got so it exactly hard. right every single time. And so there's an element of it where you have to save everybody else's job, everybody who's staying. Your job now, because in, in, a, in a wartime, you've got to make decisions no one else wants to make. That's the part that you have to, like, gamify a little bit because it's the hard part, right? <laughs> and, and the decision no one wants to make is we have people on staff who still need to continue having jobs. And if we have all of these expenses where we can't afford it, the whole ship will sink and no one will have a job. Mm. So which one do we pick? That's yeah. the framing of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I also, I think in terms of tactics of, like, what you do in a wartime as you're making these decisions, I really find it's helpful to give myself deadlines. Okay. So as I'm doing that, like critical for revenue, critical for delivery activity, I don't make the decision right there on the spot. I kind of just look at it. I give myself date. Like I'm not making an on the spot decision, but I do say I'm going to make a decision on this date. That's a good tactic. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a forcing function. Forcing function, because otherwise I know myself. I will drag it out. I will not make the decision. And now we continue having the cost. And now, like, it's causing even more trouble because I'm just not bucking up to make the hard decision. Mm -hmm. It's funny, too, because the pandemic is an interesting case study because the pandemic triggered different things for different businesses. For some, it was an absolute boon. It it introduced a peacetime. Yeah. If you're Zoom, you're like, this is our time to shine, baby. We yeah. are building for this. So like Canva, for example. Are you familiar with Canva's story? Yeah. So Melanie Perkins founded Canva. It was like originally a yearbook design tool um, called Fusion Books. But then she eventually pivoted. They like broadened their vision. They became this online design tool. I remember I had like an internship in college where someone showed me Canva and I was like, this is amazing because now I actually can like have some designs like increases my marketability too. So at the beginning of the pandemic, they did some interesting things. First of all, they made a commitment that they were going to continue to pay all of their contracted workers. They just said, we're not going to hire anyone else. So we're not going to keep growing, but we're not going to like Hiring freeze. Yes, a hiring freeze. Then they moved to remote quickly. They were decisive and like took quick action of, you know, we're going to shut down this office. We're going to move to remote. And because of the nature of the pandemic and how work from home changed the working world, now all of a sudden people are having to communicate with one another differently. And if you remember how those calls during the pandemic went, it's like you're either a bunch of faces floating on the screen or you're like presenting things to a lot <laughs> yeah. of people. And so during COVID, they actually focused on developing new things where it's like, okay, we're in, a, we're actually in a peacetime, like more people are using our product. So they pushed for innovation. They started making presentations. This was like their fastest growing document type. Mm. So rather than like, you know, people who are not maybe proficient in Adobe InDesign, who are now using this for like marketing materials, you just have everyday employees. Oh, like slide and slides making, for yeah, presentations at work. slide yeah. decks that like look really good. Mm-hmm. And so that became a big kind of boon for them. They also added features such as presenter video recording tools so that you could you could film yourself presenting it to where like, your face would be in the corner. I yeah. remember using this for one of like for work. You would have your face in the corner and you could like send a video of yourself presenting this and you could just ship it off to people and be like, here's what you need to know. And it was a really it was a really easy to use and kind of like 
oh, this is kind of neat. And I think since then there's been some some copycats and they're like Vimeo will do this now and there are other brands that do this. But at the time it was it was really interesting. They also added like a, a Q&A. So they're just making this like remote work thing easier. So what you're saying is for Canva, the pandemic was peacetime yes. for them. And so they did what you need to do in peacetime, which is go start expanding, go have, you know, take new ideas and do new things. And they added all these features because the pandemic created peacetime for them. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is interesting. This is why I was asking folks in the YouTube comments to sort of share where they're in, what season they're in right now, because you and I happen to be in a wartime season, but that doesn't mean that every single business, every single person, right, is also in a contraction period, in a wartime period. You could be in a peacetime period right now. So I'm curious to hear where people are. I agree. I also think that there's, there was another, as a fitness instructor at the time, there was like this whole other element of getting to see, because I worked for an airline, which that's got hard to diversify if your core product is like moving people around the world during a pandemic. But I also worked in fitness and fitness studios were closing down because that offering is so in person. And it was really fascinating to watch studio by studio close. And the ones that were able to keep it together and the ones that were able to stay open were the ones that moved really quickly to move to online and yeah. to make virtual classes and to embrace that quickly. And yep. so there was one example of one. It's a fitness studio called The Class in New York. And I had taken it in person a couple of times when I was in the city. But they launched, I think it's like dumb luck, but frankly, like I, there's no way they could have known this was coming. But in my mind, it was like a diversifying before you need to play where they easily could have gone the way of other boutique fitness chains, yeah. particularly when your studio is in Tribeca. I mean, your rent is expensive. So they had just spent the last year building an online platform for their fans outside of New York, where mm. a class in person is $40, a virtual subscription to the class is $40 per month. So they already kind of had this infrastructure in place. Yeah. They had already diversified. And then when the pandemic started, it was like, cool. Everyone just go watch the classes online. The instructor will still be in the room teaching them the way that they always have been. But like now there's no more people in there. So I think that to me is it was a lesson at the time. And it's a lesson now where I'm like, what is the equivalent for me? When, how do you discern when to focus on what you're good at versus mm. diversifying into other areas. And, and it is a peacetime decision, right? Yeah. Like they did it during a peacetime. But I think in the peacetime, the, the lull or the trap is like, well, if everything's going so well, we don't have to do anything differently. We don't have to be looking for new areas of opportunity. Yeah. We're, we're, everything we're doing is working. I think, too, there's a difference between um, – Looking in a peacetime for a new opportunity and experimenting with new opportunities and completely diversifying the business. So now you're 50 percent doing your original product and 50 percent doing another product, because I think where a lot of small businesses get stuck is like they just keep coming up with new ideas for stuff, new product, new product, new product, and are not really centrally focused on their core product. So I think you can maybe think during peacetime about two different models because there's a distinction here. One is we're going to do like we're going to create the experiment lab. Mm-hmm. And this is what I do during peacetime. Like I pick a couple people on the team who are good at experimenting, too, and they sort of join the Terra lab and they're working with me on experiments. Those experiments are not it's not diversification. I would not call it full diversification. Those, that's different. Diversification is like now we're fully going after this opportunity. It's more like we're testing it. We're doing it at small scale. And that way, the the example of sort of the class online 
pivot is like, okay, we've started this, we've built the foundation, we've validated it, but they didn't necessarily maybe crank up all the spending on all their marketing and all of that beforehand, right. but they were ready with what the next move could be when they needed to do that move and pivot. I think that's a really important distinction that you don't want to just like spread yourself super thin yeah. and be like, we've got to diversify. It's year one, year two, year four of the business. It's usually like too early to be diversifying heavily at that point, but you might be doing experiments for things that, you know, start new lines of business and trying them. And I think those are different. I think the thing to be conscious of is that if losing your biggest customer or your biggest product would completely tank everything, you are not diversified enough. It's only a matter of time, mm. right? And so I think that is when if you feel as though you've got that locked in, and that's the only thing that you have locked in? I don't know. I think that's a little risky. Okay, so if I'm year one in my business, first year, <laughs> right, and I all everything's focused on one particular type of client, I think it's probably true I'm not diversified, quote unquote, enough. Okay, but I have no business being diversified in sure. year one. Probably sure. year three, you still have no business being diversified. You're still trying to figure out your processes and everything for the first product. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a point where... Yeah, you're not diversified enough. It's still risk, right? Business is yeah. risky. I just think most businesses are going to fail by spreading themselves too thin way faster than, oh, something happened and we weren't diversified enough. And I think one way to do that is if you have lots of resources, you're in strong peacetime, then you can add experiments. But if you do not have lots of resources, you stay your butt focused on that main product. I think that's fair. I also think that another way to mitigate that is the the higher slow thing that we've we've talked about in the past, which is that yeah. you don't take growth that you're seeing and then extrapolate that forward blindly and start staffing up for that. Because I think that's when you get yourself into trouble. But I think when your costs stay lean and you move you move a little bit more slowly to spend, yeah. I think you protect yourself. So I, I honestly look at crisis times, this like wartime period as we've dubbed it, as splitting founders into two camps, where I think if you were the type of founder that you kind of accidentally started something because you had a mission that you believed in so strongly with your heart and soul that it almost doesn't matter what happens, you're never going to give up on, on getting that out into the world. I think those people are better poised to make it through. I think the other camp is people who are maybe actually the savvier entrepreneur who saw the gap, who saw the opportunity gap and exploited it. They saw something in the market and they went for it. I think prolonged crisis times or war times for them are going to be a little bit tougher because it's not that principal decision, that mission that's driving them forward as much as it is. I saw a business opportunity and I took it. Mm. So you're saying being centered in your mission really helps you get through peace times and war times and that that's something you can loop back to and maybe get better, more in touch with mm -hmm. kind of whether that was strong for you at the Kinda beginning like the or you need to create thing. it. Yeah. Airbnb is totally yeah. doing this, right? Like getting back centered on the mission as you get through hard periods. Right. That's a good tip. I, I'm really excited to see how people play with this, these skills that we need to sort of lean into. But I think the one of staying really centered in the mission and the why of it all gets you through the hard times mm -hmm. and the easy times. And I'm excited to see in the comments where people are in life right now. Same. So if you're enjoying Bossy and you would like more episodes like this, please subscribe wherever you are listening. And I think that's a good place to end it today.
Yeah. And also there's other episodes that we have, too, that I think will help you with this conversation. Mm -hmm. We're working on some episodes around mission statement. We've got different episodes about just like where you need to be from a confidence perspective to execute all of mm-hmm. these different moves in peacetime and wartime. And so hiring. Check, and hiring. about hiring. Yeah. Specifically. So check those out as well. Yep. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. 